Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And this might be the most difficult introduction that I've ever had to do for the show. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's actually a very, very good way. And this is my struggle. I want there to be some element of surprise when you hear Seth's voice in just a few minutes. And I want you to be caught off guard by the wide array of topics that we are about to cover. And I want you to ask yourself, is this guy for real? Because you're definitely going to at some point, I, I promise. And because I want all those things, I, I can't divulge too much information in this introduction. But because we touch on so much, I also want you to be prepared for what you're about to hear. And so I have to tell you like just enough right now so that when you hear it, you're going to understand it and you're going to appreciate it. And you're not going to have to second guess yourself or wonder if you heard them correctly because what you hear is correct. So the stories that you are about to hear are 100% real and Seth Yon is a pure 100% badass. So Seth is a United States Army Special Forces veteran, and specifically U.S. Army's 20th Special Forces Group Airborne. And I hope I I didn't butcher that. I hope I got that right. I'm not really an Army guy. Um, But he joined the Army in 2005, and Seth uh, would later find himself fighting in Afghanistan and fighting in Iraq. And on multiple occasions, he also found himself in a hospital. He remembers waking up after being in a short coma. And he also remembers when doctors told him that he would never walk again. Prior to serving in the army, Seth was a soccer player and he was actually one of those well-rounded multi-sport athlete kind of kids. He grew up in Bradenton, Florida, which is just coincidence for those that are wondering. Uh, but he grew up in Bradenton, Florida, and he was offered multiple scholarships, um, actually scholarships in multiple sports, uh, right out of high school. And he ended up playing soccer for St. Andrews University in North Carolina. And after just one season of collegiate soccer, Seth made the big decision to turn pro. And after just one year, he uh, called an end to his professional soccer career. And the decision to stop playing was his own. And you're going to hear him talk about the epiphany that he had in that moment that he found himself questioning what his true purpose was. And that epiphany would ultimately steer him down a wild and crazy path that has taken him inverted over Russian airspace and has ultimately landed him on the U.S. men's national seven-a-side team, and that is also known as the Paralympic team. Um, Seth has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. He's had professional Muay Thai fights. And after we hung up from our phone call this morning, uh, he informed me in a text message that he also holds a seat on the U.S. Olympic Committee's Athlete Advisory Council. And there's so much stuff that I'm leaving out only because I want you guys to listen and hear the stories. But like I said, Seth is a badass. And during this episode, you're actually going to hear me tell Seth that he should be on the Joe Rogan experience or Jocko Willink's podcast, not mine. (laughs) So uh, 
his story is literally amazing and incredibly inspiring. And it's hard for me to describe how honored that I am that he accepted the invitation to come on my show. So thank you, Seth. And I'd also like to give a quick shout out and thank you to Seth's good friend, Ryan, because without Ryan, this podcast would have never happened. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Ryan, who is also a badass, I must add. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Ryan during my last trip to Europe. And while we were talking, I happened to mention that I host a soccer podcast and Ryan said, hey, I know a soccer player. And, And he jumped on his phone and immediately contacted Seth and got the ball rolling. So Ryan, thank you for, for getting me and Seth in contact. And you are really the reason that this episode uh, took place. Um, but one thing that Seth and I did not talk about was what 343 is. And it's, it's kind of funny, actually. I've been thinking about it. I never know if any of the guests that I bring on this show actually know what we do. And I don't even know if the people who listen to this show actually know what we do or what we offer, but we offer some pretty cool stuff. So on 343coaching.com, we have a free online course that gives you access to seven lessons, which provide the framework to our core curriculum. And then we also offer a premium membership that gives you a deeper look into how we train our teams to play possession soccer. And it's truly like having access to the locker room or sitting on the sideline as one of this country's best teams, or sorry, some of this country's best teams uh, were being made. And you get to see some of the best players in this country and you get to see one of the best coaches leading the sessions as well. And uh, one thing to note is we don't use guest players in our video. Nothing is staged. It's all real footage of real coaching moments by real coaches to real players during real training sessions and real games. And I've, I've yet to come across another program quite like this. If you want more information, you can check it out on 343coaching.com. I want you to go there anyways because I want you to look at the pictures that Seth sent me. Uh, we talk about the the pictures and we talk about the email that Seth actually sent me. We're going to talk about it right away when this interview starts. But if you're used to just listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen to this, um, take a second and go visit the website and look at the pictures that Seth sent me just so you have an idea of what we were actually talking about in some of these stories. They had me they had me busted up laughing, I'm not going to lie. And you're going to hear me start with, with a, a question about the pictures right away when we start this interview. Um, but on the website, 343coaching.com, that's the numbers, 34 and 3, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. And on there, you can also find episodes of this podcast with guests like Bob Bradley, Taylor Twelman, Eric Winalda, and then one episode that I'm particularly particularly proud of, sorry. Um, even though the audio sucked on it, my interview with Christian Polisic's dad, Mark, is one of my favorite episodes, and it's it's definitely worth checking out. We also have over 250 written articles um, and, and a bunch of stuff that you can get lost in on the website. So uh, all that is available on 343coaching.com. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time. I am honored to introduce you to professional soccer player, animal lover, and the 100% complete badass, Seth Yon. Hello. Hey, Seth. Hey, John. How are you? Good, man. Good. Thank you for making some time for me. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I guess I, I want to start right away with the email that you sent me this morning, <laughs> because yeah. when, when I got it, I immediately started busting up laughing. So I had asked, uh, I had asked you, and I'm, I'm going to talk like I'm talking to listeners right now too, sorry. Um, I had asked you to send me an email 
with some photos that you were <laughs> that you were proud of, and you sent me a, a whole bunch of pictures. And so, I guess I can just read the email word for word. So, making the SWAT team, your first uh, pro formula race, your first pro Muay Thai Muay Thai fight, um, the first summit that you climbed, and then this is this is what made me laugh. Uh, piloting a Russian MiG over Russian airspace. As I'm scrolling through the pictures, <laughs> as I'm scrolling through the pictures, there's some, there's a picture of you flipping the double bird. And I have to assume that's the picture of you flying over Russia. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, I was getting my, I was getting my, my goose from Top Gun on like times 10. I have to say, I mean, I, I'm not one to like, I don't, it's always uncomfortable to talk about myself, but this particular instance, like I'm, I'm like, I have got to be the only person in the history of the world that has done this. <laughs> it was surreal, man. That was so badass. What's the story behind that? Um, so, uh, I got my FFA pilot's license a few years ago just for, for shits and gigs, man. I didn't have any, like, intention of being a, a like, commercial pilot or anything. Um, a, a good buddy of mine would, uh, he would fly out. We would go to the Bahamas, and he'd land in the water. We'd go do some uh, scuba diving and, and, you know, spear some fish and, and get do scalping, lobster and all that. Uh, you know, make a little fire, eat right there on the island, and then fly out the next day. That's what kind of inspired me to get my, my pilot's license. So I've always been intrigued with, you know, uh, uh, aviation and whatnot. And, and so, anyways, fast forward a few years, and my uh, uh, a colleague of mine, I was working in Europe as an uh, independent government contractor, security contractor, and, and a buddy of mine was working in the Moscow field office. He's, uh, well, anyways, <laughs> he, was, uh, he was working over there. He was working over there, and, uh, and he uh, he says, hey, Seth, um, would you be interested in, in, in possibly flying a, a Russian MiG, of course, co-piloting? And I was like, bro, <laughs> you don't just ask something like that, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just drop this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity on my, on my lap. And so I was like, oh, hell yes. And so, well, during the time, uh, the whole Ukraine revolution was going on, which um, I was, you know, I, I, kind of cool to have been part of that, that historic time in history. And, and um, anyways, it, it got pushed back. He, he had some connections to the Royal Air Force there. That, that's the whole background behind it. And and, um, and they had these, like, little, I guess, VIP opportunities like that. And, and so it, for 10 months of coordination to make this happen, and it kept getting pushed back because of what was going on um, uh, politically, and, you know, the political political atmospherics in that, that region were, were quite volatile, as you know. And so, um, anyways, I finally got an opportunity to do it, and um, the only the only kind of, uh, I guess, monkey wrench in it was that I, I had to pilot a different um, jet fighter uh, plane from an L-39 Charlie from Czech Republic into Poland, and then Poland to Belarus, and then Belarus is where I got into the the MiG, the MiG-29, and we had two F-30, or uh, MiG-35 escorts as soon as we came into Russian air, airspace, my uh, my pilot went inverted, and I, I, it was like, I was like goose times 10 from Top Gun, bro, like, clicking off, I was inverted in Russian airspace, two MiG-35s escorting us to Smolensk Air Base, and I'm flicking off all of Russia, working on my, 
you know, diplomatic my foreign relations, uh, <laughs> upholding my foreign relations. Like, that's just so awesome. And I got the whole thing on GoPro, which is even more sick, man. So that was just a screenshot from the GoPro. <laughs> When I saw that, I, I was like, I, it wasn't what I was expecting because I had asked you, like, oh, yeah, like, send one from your mil- military days and send a picture of you <laughs> playing soccer, and then, <laughs> that's what I got. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, this guy's going to be a character. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. My, I was, I was uh, laying next to this, this other young lady, and I was like, what would you say? Uh, what would you say, like, it's something that I'm proud of? I, don't, I, I just didn't even, I don't, I don't know, I wasn't thinking like that. And, and that's the one, one time where I'm like, gushing about that experience it was just so sick man <laughs> what what's going through your head as you're crossing into russian airspace are you are you nervous or are you like did, did the thought ever you cross know, your mind man, like is I it think, a joke <laughs> i think the nerves it's all just they've gone out the window over the years man when, when you've kind of been eat sleeping and breathing warfare for the last decade of your life in some capacity like you just don't really care anymore <laughs> you know like you take in the spectrum of eternity right the uh, the, the statistical anomaly that you and I are even on this planet at this time, on this con- on this phone call, in, in this conversation at this moment in time is, like I said, the statistical anomaly. And our, our, our time on this earth is so precious. It's so finite, man. And, and so why not seize every opportunity? Why not, like, maximize and cherish every interaction that you have? And so it was just one of those moments where I was like, oh, this is once in a lifetime, man. So I was just eating it up. And I will say this. Like, I, I was completely, I mean, just a whole other level of respect for our, our fighter pilots, man. Like, this dude was trying to make me sick, and I was, my sole goal was to not embarrass all of America. I have, you know, I'm a virtual pilot, and, and like, and he's pulling, like, seven positive keys, dude, and, and I'm like, my, all I could think about was was not passing out. Like, I felt like I had an elephant hanging off my face and, um, and you know, not falling up all over myself. Much less, like, having to worry about instrumentation and maneuvers and dropping precision munitions. Like, I, my respect for those guys is just increased exponentially in that experience. I mean, it's, it's, it's just freaking awesome. Man. It's the sexiest job in the DRD. I'll, I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> all right. I want to I wanna backtrack to why we are even on the phone because I, I, this is a soccer podcast and people are like, why are these guys talking about Russian fighter jets? Probably. Um, <laughs> um, so I had met, awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had met your, your buddy Ryan when I was traveling in Europe and I went out with Ryan and a couple of the U S uh, youth national team staff members when we yep. were in Europe and, and Ryan and I were just exchanging some stories and, and, and it came up that I host a podcast and he's like, dude, you should totally interview my buddy Seth. And he kind of told me a little bit about your story and, and I was like, absolutely. And I think he texts you like right away, which because of the time change, it, it had to have been like, you know, middle of the night where, where you guys were, I think you were back in Florida. Yeah, Is that where you're at? And so, um, so Ryan, Ryan and I kind of worked together to kind of get your information to me, and then it took me about a month to to reach out to you, and I'm I'm super super stoked to have you on the phone right now. Um, but you're not just a guy that flies jets over over Russia. <laughs> you're actually you do have a soccer history, um, and I, I want to kind of pick that apart. and And I was going through your Instagram, and it's like it it's just amazing, man. You're you're a total inspiration. 
you have pictures next to Christian Pulisic, which is you know soccer related, but then you have pictures diving diving in the sea and climbing mountains. It's like holy shit, this this guy's gonna have some crazy stories. And and I'm like I, in my head, I'm thinking like you should be on like the Joe Rogan podcast or Jocko Willink's podcast or you know not my podcast. <laughs> I kind of got that feeling from the the U.S. national team staff. Like Ryan, Ryan was kind of sitting there a little bit quiet, and I think he got up and maybe went to go take a, take a piss or something. And one of the staff members, the, the national team staff members, looked at me and like, "Dude, that guy is a badass. Like he's a bad oh, motherfucker. Yeah. Highly, <laughs> high, highly decorated dude, man, and comes from probably one of the most underrated uh, special operations com- components in the military. The CCTs, combat control teams from the Air Force. Like those dudes are just." And I kind of, I kind of got that feeling from him too. He, he told me a couple stories. I don't, I don't want to repeat them, but he, they, they were gnarly. <laughs> um, all right, so you are a soccer player. You're, and you're still a soccer player today. So you're, you're mid thirties, right? Yes, sir. Thirty four. Okay. Thanks for bringing that up, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. So, so. Uh, <laughs> but you're you're still playing for and representing and and representing the country. So you're still playing for U.S. soccer. Um, yeah, I play for a U.S. national seven star football team, U.S. Paralympic national team, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I'm still still able to kick it around. But tell it. Tell me, tell me a little bit about about seven aside and and, and what that's all about. Because I, I had told you I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm a novice in that in that realm. So Yeah, hundred percent. Well a lot of people don't realize there's actually five senior teams underneath the US Soccer Federation and I think like I wanna say like thirty something youth national teams that are, are, are developmental academies for the senior teams. Um, I am truly again honored to be part of one of those senior teams. So you had the uh, the more, more famous guys, the eleven aside men, the eleven aside women's, the seven aside team that's us, the futsal team, the five side team, and then the national beach soccer team. And the difference between and most of the guys on well, all the guys on the uh, the the sevens team, they, their background is is um, their foundation is in eleven aside. Um, the difference in the seven side game is the field is a little bit smaller and the goals are a little bit smaller, but not that much. And uh, so the game's wide open because there's no offside. You can throw the ball in or roll the, roll the ball in, um, and all the same rules are, are apply it's, it, all the way down to uh, substitutions. Um, and so you have uh, you have seven uh, seven people on or seven players on the team uh, at a time and. And uh, to qualify for the team, uh, most of the guys have collegiate or, or professional backgrounds, um, but they've also either, either experienced a stroke, a mild form of cerebral palsy, or a traumatic brain injury. You said mo- most of the guys have that, or? Oh, yeah. All, yeah, all of them do. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's. I think that's where, I mean, I, I, I don't want to... I'm ignorant when it comes to this subject, so I have to admit that. Like, I I don't know if everybody on the field has has something like that, or if. Yep. Yeah, to qualify for our team, you have to, and um, but all the guys play in able-bodied leagues and at a very high level. 
Um, you, you really wouldn't even be able to tell if um, with the like with the naked eye, with the untrained eye. Uh, you have to go through a significant amount of classification where uh, teams of doctors will uh, review you and and, and uh, you know give you your classification number if you qualify. That's interesting, and, and I've I've interviewed Taylor Twelman before, and, and him and I have exchanged a couple stories back and forth. Um, I don't, are you familiar with Taylor's story at all? Um, no, I mean I know t- t- uh, Taylor, but I'm not familiar with his story. Yeah, so so Taylor played a a a, a decent length of of a career in Major League Soccer, and, and he actually ended up having yep. to um to stop because of head injuries. He had he had multiple concussions, and and. So he has a foundation now. I think it's called Think Taylor, and it's all dedicated to like brain research and and safety and and so I've also had a couple of concussions, and those kept me out of, of playing during high school and 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 some of my younger my younger days. But Taylor and I have been wanting to do or get back together and do an episode that's exclusively about um, brain trauma and, and concussions. And I think this is a a, a component that I, I didn't even know existed, Seth. I I did not know that this existed. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 awesome. I mean, it was cool too that we get to, to interact as you, as you mentioned before with the eleven aside guys, um, and we scrimmage the youth, uh, the, or not the the U.S. national beach team. Uh, we've done we've scrimmaged them a few times, and and um, and we've won every game. Just got to rub that in there for the beach guys that might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all those guys play a USL or any um former MLS players that are on the, the national beach team too. So. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an awesome federation to be part of, and it's a one big family, really. And uh, uh, Sunil and VP and the whole board are, are, are just, uh, they're incredible bosses of the workforce, essentially. You know? how, how often do you guys get together and play? Um, so we, we, we do our, uh, we do camps, um, like monthly camps, so seven to ten days a month where uh, we are at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista. It is a very common site, IMG Academy down in Bradenton and River Ranch, and then also at the uh, National Training Center in Stubhub in L.A. So those are like the three that we kind of rotate. We've done other other camps in different places like Chicago, and then we'll also have we're on the same um, cycle as, as all the rest of the team. So we have a World Cup or a World Championship games, you know, so on and so forth, um, but we'll have uh, friendlies in between that, well, what we call international challenge matches. So. And I think I barely missed you when Ryan and I were, were in Europe. I was heading back to California, and, and he had mentioned that you were here for a camp, but I think you were leaving like like a day or two before I was getting back, and maybe, uh, yeah. I, I'm down at StubHub quite a bit, so I'm going to try to keep an eye on your guys' schedule and, and, and try to catch something down there when you guys are down there next time. Oh, heck yeah, man. Uh, um, oh man, a, a question just escaped my mind. Um, I guess let's try to backtrack and, and maybe tell a little bit about um, your story leading up to you getting to the being the co-captain, which is an important part too, being the co-captain of the Seven Aside National Team. Um, but let's talk about how how you got there. So when when did soccer become part of like a main part of your life? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, four or five years old is when I first started playing. My I wanted to do everything pretty much. My mom uh, thought it was too dangerous for me to do karate or uh, football at that time. So, <laughs> so little did she know what my uh, <laughs> my dad was later 
that is hilarious, man. That is so hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. So, she, uh, anyways, I, yeah, I got in soccer very young, and, and uh, it's pretty much my primary sport all the way through high school. Uh, in high school, I did play other sports, football, basketball, boxing, were like my main track as well, were like the main sports I played, but um, and it led to a college scholarship, and, and uh, yeah, so I started pretty young. So, college scholarship in soccer? Yeah, yeah I had uh, actually scholarships for soccer and boxing. And, um, and I, uh, so, I, I participated in multiple sports in college and, and then uh, was drafted and played, uh, played a year professionally as well. So, where, where, where did you play college soccer then? Where, where did that take you in the world? St. Andrews University, North Carolina. Okay, okay. And you played how many years? Uh, just one year until I, I decided I was going to give my uh, give it a shot in the in the pro realm. So. And and what team did you end up with in the pro arena? LDU in, in Ecuador. Oh shit! So you you went foreign. Yep. Ah. Yeah, I'm one of five foreign players that are allowed on on the team for for that you know the the Serie A league's rules and. Um, yeah, and I was played on the 23s, and it was, you know, I, I, it, I was good enough to get down there, but, I mean, just be honest with you, like, I just, uh, it's a pretty unremarkable professional career, but it was, you know, it was something that I worked for my entire life, and, and what changed for me is, and I could have I could have continued, I could have stayed on that path, but I remember a game, and, you know, thousands, thousands, thousands of people, you know, singing and dancing, chanting, they're so passionate about their sport, and um, I just remember walking into the field. I was this cocky, punk-ass, you know, American kid, young, never grew up with much money or anything like that. And I just busted my ass my entire life to, to my whole goal. I, I didn't want. I didn't care about being a, a soldier or cop or an agent or anything in the military, government, anything like that. All I wanted to do was be a professional athlete. And um, you know, looking in the crowd, and, and I was like, yeah, you know, I made it. And, and then I. Started Get the most sickening feeling in my stomach, and I I, uh, I start looking in the faces in the crowd, and I'm like, man, I just felt like a court jester, like a pet monkey, and people are paying for me to entertain them, and then they go leave that stadium and do real meaningful things with their life, and I'm picking around the ball to define my life, and, and I wasn't okay with that. It is the weirdest thing. Like I said, it didn't come from anything. I never had any inclination of being in search one career fields. And, um, and, and let me digress for a second, too, and say, look, I, I know that athletes do, they, have, they use their platforms for tremendous good and service to others. Well, um, it was just at that moment in my life, that was just the epiphany that I, that I experienced, you know, was um, I want to go do something meaningful that was meaningful to me. And, um, and so that's what I did. That, that's I think a, a really important topic too. I don't know how how often people think about it. I was emailing with, and I hate name dropping, but I was emailing with Bob Bradley um, last week, and something came up about like purpose. And I think we were talking about his time in in Egypt, and when he was the Egyptian yeah. national team coach. And and there's a documentary about his time there, and and kind of the revolution that that country was going through at the time, and. I kind of, after I watched the documentary, I was like, holy shit, like, what is my purpose? Like, I, I started questioning my purpose. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I send out some tweets and I record podcasts and stuff like that. I I found myself, like, kind of soul searching. 
last week and I was like, holy crap, like this, I haven't had, I haven't thought about this in a long time. And, and I can't imagine like what you would go through that moment. Like you're on the field and doing that, like questioning yourself as you're taking the field or, yeah. oh man, that's, that'd be surreal. It was, man. It definitely was. And that's what was unique about it. I wrote a paper about it during um, my initial undergrad about um, what it takes to change the essence of a man. And essentially my conclusion was either a traumatic event or an epiphany. And I believe that you know, I, I experienced that spiritual enlightenment. When I was like, okay, I've accomplished this goal. Now let's go do something that's going to make a difference in people's lives. You know, let's stamp my, my, my name on this world. So... God, and then and then you experience the other side of that. So you you narrowed it down to epiphany and and, and tragedy, basically, and and you've had both. Mm-hmm. So what oh, yeah. what what happened after Ecuador? Then so you you played the the one year there, and then you had your epiphany, and you go out and 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 yeah. you kind of redefined your your life while you were there. What was next? Yeah. Well, um, at that point, I, I I didn't know what I wanted to do. I I went back to school. I went to USF. I was pre med there. Um, Walking on to the uh, USF soccer team, and, and coach pulls me in his office and says, uh, Did you ever sign in South America? And I was like, Yeah, all proud about it. He's like, You're no longer eligible to play collegiate soccer. And so I, uh, I, I ended up becoming a firefighter I went, uh, during my undergrad. So I was, uh, while I was working on my undergrad, as uh, was pre med. They had a dual certification program in EMT and paramedic, and uh, so I ended up doing that, and I worked at Tampa General in the ER and ICU, took my MCATs, got accepted to med school, and uh, two months two months before I I was going to leave, um, I had a buddy of mine who I boxed with in college, and he had, uh, went to ROTC, a commission as an officer in the Army, and, um, and I got the best of him this particular day, you know, and talking a little bit of crap to him. And, He's like, oh, you think you're bad, man? He's like, why don't you join the army? And I was like, okay, <laughs> it just clicked. I was like, that's that's what I want to do. And 9/11 had happened a couple of years before, and I always interpreted that I hate bullies, man. Like, I um, I never every fight I ever got into was somebody picking on somebody else or, or my sister or something like that. And and um, I always felt like you know, 9/11 was just somebody coming into our neighborhood and causing a lot of devastation, and then me not being able to do anything about it. And So you're saying this is like around 2001 because I think it's important for us to put um, a, a timestamp on some of some of this stuff. Um, yep, um, this is this was 2000 um, when I made that decision. It was 2000. Uh, two, I, I left for basic training in 2005. So. Okay. So you'd already done a year in college, a year in Ecuador playing professional soccer. Now it's 2005, yeah, and you say it again. So you're leaving for basic and I don't know how, I don't know how much you want to, or how much there is to tell. I'm, I'm sure there's, oh my gosh, a lot just based off of uh, some of the stuff I've read about you, but what's kind of the, the, the course that you took from basic to the next step, I guess. I don't, I don't know what the next step would for be. Sure. Well, 
um, I was really, uh, I was really dissatisfied with, with the uh, with the regular army. I, I, I just thought, and, and this was my experience. This isn't the case with with other regular army units, of course. I'm not speaking in generalities, but this was my experience. I, I just felt like the training was was inadequate. I thought the leadership wasn't what it could be. I, I just wanted more, and um, I just expected more. I thought it's more of that brotherhood, like really, you know, strong camaraderie. And, and my my initial experience in the first year was more like a doggy dog type deal and and, um, and it wasn't something that I was you know really proud of and uh, of being part of and so um, it, it kind of motivated my career path into serving in a, a slightly different in my opinion greater capacity within special operations career field I, I, I served with the 3rd Battalion 20 Special Forces Group and and um, uh, just really dedicated my, myself to to the work in, in that community what what's different about that specifically? You know, when I first got exposure into the special forces community, I, I remember saying, "Where have these men been my whole career? Just physically, mentally, emotionally, spirit, every dynamic operated on a different level. They're elite, and everything in my life, I never settled for mediocrity. I always wanted to be the best in whatever I did." And in my opinion, these guys were, were the best, and being part of that community was something that was um, was uh, a huge motivation for me. And that, I, I guess, how long did it take you to get to that point, too? So you left for basic in 2005, and then special yeah, forces so started. Well, when, when, I, when, I, when I was in the Army, and I was in the artillery unit, I volunteered for deployment because I was like, you know, if I'm gonna, if I sign up to do this job, then I'm gonna do this job. And I got cross trained in infantry, and um, and so when I was in Afghanistan, we were working with, with the Germans, and the Germans uh, had a, a competition called the uh, uh, German Armed Forces Proficiency Match, and the shoots and stare, two different competitions, and and the uh, the commander put out and says anybody from you know, from our, our battalion that finishes gold in this um, in these events, we'll have uh, four days R and R in Qatar and Qatar and uh, getting an Army Accommodation Medal and um, Special Forces have have been asking for guys to go out on on security uh, for on missions with them for security. Of course, we're not doing any of their missions; it's just security. And um, and so I'm like, sweet four days R and R, I'm all about that. Throughout your entire military career, were you able to to still sustain 
soccer skills. Because you can't just you can't just take ten years off and then come back and be like, oh, I'm going to play for the the seven aside yeah. team. That's a great question, man. Um, I, I did play in some leagues here and there, and I, I played in some ISAF tournaments as well, and um, and renting some some hardware from from that time is very sporadic, though. Um, but I do have kind of a cool story about um, we in the special forces community uh, on a deployment. Actually, we were in a, in a spot where a big part of that is, is developing rapport and relations with our, our host nations. We identify a group that's being persecuted and, and essentially terrorized by you know, a tyrannical regime. And we build up their infrastructure. We build up their their, uh, their 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 medical, you know, their their roads, their wells, their irrigation, their schools, wherever. And then we also teach them how to fight, how to sustain themselves, and um, and then go fight alongside them for overthrow that tyrannical regime. And then we disappear in the shadows, and then that gets credit. I got chills when you're when you're telling that story. I don't have anything remotely close to that, but I but I can attest that it's it's a weird like phenomenon that the ball is just like a it breaks down all language barriers. Like you just you, you put a ball between you and you and another person that that you've never met before that doesn't look like you that doesn't dress like you. What doesn't matter? You, you don't you don't know how to talk to each other. You just kick it back and forth. I, I've I've had that experience in multiple countries. It's just amazing. It's like music, bro. It's like, it's like music, man. Yeah, you, you know what's funny? Music trips me out. I, I, I don't understand how Taylor Swift can go on a, on a world a world tour. <laughs> like, like I, to me, that <laughs> that blows my mind. But 
Are you saying that Taylor Swift doesn't really uh, perform actual music? Is that what you're insinuating? <laughs> no, not at all, man. Take no. die, bro. Take or die, man. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Um, yeah, man, your story gave me chills right now, though. I, I, I can't imagine that. Actually, I, I can't. I can imagine that. I, I can. I can totally see. I can totally see that working. I can totally see how that how that plays out. Um, I'm trying to think of. There's there's a scene in a movie that actually has something like that. It might be uh, what is it? The one with Jeremy Renner. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but I think they bust out a soccer ball in that movie, and they they get some kid to to become friends with them or something. He becomes help somehow. I can't remember exactly, but. Um, Yes. Anyways, um, so you you are able to play throughout your your military career and and just just here and there. um, I guess how what you're trying to ask is how I got back to the game. Uh, no, I just I kind of how how you stayed involved with it because I I guess my my train of thought was you can't just be absent from the game for ten years and come back and play any type of soccer at any. At any competitive level, it's just, that that doesn't that's not how that works. That's a really good point for sure, man. Um, yeah, I, it, I've, I've, it has been it has been part of, of my life, not on a, a high level like it was initially. You know, in the college pro, you know, this short time I had there, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been part of my life for sure. And not not to. See, I, I'm I'm struggling to because I don't I don't want to transition into like in a bad way, but you, you've had some some tragic stuff happen to you, and and that's affected that's affected your life, and I'm, I I don't know how to transition that, so I guess I uh, I'm well, sorry, I, I but I think I can tie it all in. Okay. Um. So my career ended October twentieth, twenty ten. I was I was injured in uh, during combat operations um, on on my final deployment with the military, and. Um, and that night, uh, you know, pretty pretty much shifted the trajectory of my life. I uh, I was in a, a short coma. Um, woke up in in Germany and, and was pretty much told I was paralyzed. I was paralyzed for about seven months. And they, uh, the first team of doctors I dealt with all told me that you know you're you're let's not worry about walking anymore. Let's just worry about your quality of life and maybe at some point you'll be able you know, to, to walk and stuff like that with an assistive device. Um, but it, it, that, that would probably be, be it. And I just refused to hear that, man. And, uh, and so I spent about a year and a half inpatient, inpatient hospital, living in a hospital. <laughs> Pretty rough. Um, it was an obvious time in my life for sure, man. But I... I uh, because you, you invest so much of yourself mentally and physically and emotionally to becoming this, uh, you know, sounding corny, a specimen that's, uh, that is forged to complete very difficult tasks. And, um, and then watching that just dissipate, you know, I lost 60 pounds in the hospital at the and, um, and it was, uh, it was a, a very challenging on, on multiple levels. But, you know, it is a true testament to how strong our minds are. And that was the one thing that never broke on me. I, uh, I remember, and I use this example, and I've used it before, I remember when I went there, I didn't go to this uh, hospital, like, uh, well, I think I was, <laughs> I was there regardless, but I was at this hospital not to make um, 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 you know, just have a little 
little bit of downtime. I was busting my butt so that I could get that guy ready with my team. And um, and I remember wheeling. I was in a wheelchair, wheeling actually gas rooms. And, and, and so from seven to five, I, I did all these different therapies: physical therapy, occupational therapy, recreational therapy, speech therapy, cognitive therapy, all all types of different therapy. I was in three different polytrauma units, eleven hospitals total. Um, and uh, in this particular facility, where I spent a significant amount of my rehab time. I remember, like, I, they would close down the, the gym at five o'clock, and and so after that, nobody, there wasn't that much going on for the guys, you know. And and for me, I I uh, I, I got the layout and, and the schedule of what everybody was doing, and so I uh, I went to the nurses' station and I kind of finagled a, a sweet talk nurse and provided me a key down to the gym, and I just go down there from about six o'clock. I'd wait for an hour for everybody to leave from about 6 o'clock to midnight, 6 o'clock to 1 a.m., and just try to teach myself how to walk every night for a year. And um, just falling all over myself, big old gashes on my own, whatever. The therapist was like, what the heck happened here? I'm like, oh, I'm paralyzed, I can't feel it. <laughs> and so, um, but, I, but I remember going by some of these guys' rooms, and they just checked out. They're young Marines, you know, bilateral amputees or whatever, um, no TV, no music, just staring at the, you know, counting the popcorn on the ceiling, man. And, um, and I just remember feeling compelled to go and build a relationship with some of these guys. And I remember going into the room and they can kind of see, you know, I still had a big old moon beard and that one thing I, I, I sat in and shaved it, the rest of them all clean shaven. And, and, um, and so they, uh, you know, I can see him puff his chest out a little bit and, and the, the way he's becoming accustomed here is all baby, it's going to be okay. Things are going to be all right. Well, no, it's not. But what are you willing to do to make it happen? And that's how I challenge you. I'm like, get off your ass. Let's go. Let's go hit the gym. And they look at me like, I'm like, who the heck is this guy talking to me like this? But that was the language that they responded to. That's the language that they remembered. And they're like, okay. And um, and once they became mentally healthy, their bodies followed suit. And it was remarkable to, to witness that. And, and it was really emotional by the time I left the hospital. I, I was being a caravan of like 12, 13 guys in wheelchairs down to the team. We were all trying to help each other and, and, and train.
40-year-old version of me saying, what the hell were you thinking? Why didn't you do it? And so I went for a minute, and, and my company was very uh, accommodating to me. And um, uh, I, uh, I went out there for the trials, and two weeks later, you know, I got a, uh, the, the coach pretty much told me I'm on the made final roster and all the rest of the, uh, you know, in their database in the USOC, and I was like, you got the right guy. <laughs> like, it was still got kind of uh, you know, moments for me when they told me I made final roster. And, and, uh, so, yeah. Uh, when, when you're standing on the field like you were in, in Ecuador and, and, and you kind of had that epiphany in Ecuador, you're like, man, like I just feel like I'm a monkey in a cage and these guys are just watching me for entertainment. What, what was your mindset coming full circle back to, back to the, the field again? And playing in front of an audience, it, 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 it kind of it kind of transitioned, man, because it was in a different capacity. It was much more self self serving back then for me, um, and being part of, of something that I felt was was uh, just really having an opportunity to represent my country on the field with that crest on my chest, and and then also being a, a testament to so many people who looked out for me and, and really went out of the way and, and for, for me during my, my rehabilitation. Um, and, and this is the thing, I'm going to digress for just a second. You know, service comes in so many different capacities. Just because you wore a uniform doesn't make you a badass. It doesn't make you a hero. It doesn't make you entitled to anything. It's called service for a reason. And I have an incredibly more, uh, you know, uh, respect for uh, you know, service comes in, in, in so many different capacities. I know more civilians than more for our community, more for our country, than a majority of people who wore a uniform. You know, so just because you wore a uniform, it, it, that doesn't, like, like I said, I just believe service comes in so many different capacities. And I was really um, a recipient to a lot of that, that selflessness all throughout that. So being a, a testament to all their hard work and all the things that people did for me and their, and their investment into me and then wearing the U.S. crest on my chest instead of the flag on my sleeve in uniform was um, was an opportunity to, to, to serve as an inspiration to others, not for myself, but to just show that if you just don't quit, because I've always described so many people, as I said, I live vicariously through, you've done all things I want to do in, my, in your lifetime, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, there's absolutely nothing special about me. How I describe myself is I'm just an ordinary dude to put myself in extraordinary situations and I didn't quit. That's it. And so many people, they, they, they hinder themselves and their, their capacity for greatness um, by making excuses. Dispense with the excuses and just go make it happen because everything worthwhile, keyword there, worthwhile, everything worth having requires sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice to make it happen to, to fulfill your capacity for greatness and on, on that, that finite time that we have on this earth? Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to take notes. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's like, quote, gold right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's far too, far too gracious, man. You're too generous in your and if if I can kind of go full, full circle now and, and bring this back to how we kind of opened um, opened the episode and I kind of listed off some of the things that that you had mentioned you're proud of so that the first um, uh, 
the first Muay Thai fight, the first pro formula race. You mentioned that you that you made the SWAT team, uh, flew the 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 Russian MIG, and and obviously um, joined the the U.S. men's um, seven aside team. These are all things that happened after doctors told you that you would never walk again. Yep, except for the SWAT thing, I was a, I was a cop for about four years in Central Florida when I was with 20th Group, 20th Special Force Group as a National Guard SF unit, and, and so I was uh, able to have another career during that time. Um, but yeah, after I was injured, um, you know, I spent like, in, a good two years in, in, in rehab, and um, and then I became, you know, worked for the government as an agent, and then later as a government contractor, and I was injured again. 2014, I was hit by a rocket, and um, and uh, I had a punctured lung, a ruptured eardrum, and mild traumatic brain injury from that. My partner was was injured a, a lot more severely. He spent about another eight months in rehab, and he was in the ICU for over a month. And and um, you know, when it happened, I was like, "Oh man, here we go again." But you know, I was just jumping to get back at get, get back at it, man. I'm never one of those always me type of guys. Like everything that's happened to me, um, I don't even really describe it as tragedy. Uh, because it, it's given me so much more than it took away. It really has. And um, uh, so during that time, yeah, uh, you know, one of the things that they told me when, when they were, I was the team of doctors that said that, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to go back to the military, which I did go back to. Um, and you're not going to be able to run, which I did. And you're not going to be able to do this, that, and that. I, I'm sick of hearing what I can't, what, what I can't. Do. And that's why I always tell kids as well, man, whenever I'm, I'm, I have an opportunity to speak to kids or whatever, is, is, is shut out the naysayers, you know, because all that is just pollution and it can, it can really corrupt your ability to perform and, and, and to fulfill, again, your capacity for greatness. And so um, I said, I, and I'm a pretty laid back guy, but at that moment I was like, get out of my room. Like, you don't know me, you don't even know the situation. Not only am I going to walk in, I'm going to run, and then I'm going to go climb Mount Everest. And so, <laughs> and so I, um, I, I, I made up my mind that I was going to go um, summit, uh, this, the, uh, climb the seven summits. And so I have completed three of the seven summits so far. Everest is, is next on the itinerary. And uh, so Kilimanjaro was the first of the seven summits to come to Vanya. And I was, uh, you know, it was difficult, you know, for me because I was still, you know, fresh, a little bit fresh from the injuries, but I completed it in really fast time. And, and, um, and I just remember being up, standing on top of that mountain in, in that morning because we, we left for summit right before midnight. We made summit at about 7.30. And, and I went during off season. So I was literally the only person on that mountain with my guy. <laughs> like, particular that that was kind of with you along your whole journey or, or that kind of had a had a big impact on on your life maybe maybe it was when you were young or or maybe it's a little bit more recent anybody that sticks out in your mind well, um, you know I, I've never been one that like just 
absolutely was enamored by athletes or got starstruck or anything like that. Like, I was always more impressed with people that did things behind the scenes, that did it for selfless reasons, that, like, made the world go around in their own uh, significant way that nobody knew about, you know. And um, and so yeah, I could throw out names, but, you know, the, I, I did have one athlete that I always looked up to, Jim Thorpe, from way back in the, you know, uh, early uh, 20th century um, Native American guy who really endured a lot of like racism and prejudice and had his gold medal stripped from him for all those reasons which were later restored but um, you know he was considered the best athlete in the world he, he played professional baseball professional football he's a, a, a gold you know Olympic medal a gold medalist in uh, track and, and I was just always uh, really taken back by the adversity that he overcome and still perform at a high level with the entire world against them. Well, for me, it wasn't really, I didn't have that, that significant type of adversity like that. I, to answer your question, I, you know, aside from him being an inspiration to me, my family, like, I've, I've had a tremendous support system. My, my mother and father, just, they're freaking awesome. My sister's like my best friend, and she, and she actually is married to my best friend, which is just incredible. I have four kids, and I just have this really big, beautiful family, and, um, and, uh, and they, to answer question, they've been along for the entire ride. And they, uh, they, they've all become very strong in their faith. Let's just say that. Whenever <laughs> <laughs> I go to do something, my, my, my mom would have a prayer warrior. So. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I've been really blessed there. And, and again, to kind of take this full circle, so I got in touch with you through Ryan. Ryan was, was doing security detail for the U.S. Youth National Team, and I, I remember you saying that you've also done like private contracting work. Is is that something that that, that you and Ryan do together, or, or have you ever done that before as well? Yeah, Ryan and I have worked together. Um, he's a consummate professional. Um, you know, I was in uh, my. So I guess to answer your question is, is I, I'm actually leaving at the end of this month. I'm going to be working for an organization called Betball. I'm going to be um, a counter poacher in South Africa. So I'm going to be fighting poaching, and um, it's uh, it's going to be quite an adventure, man. So Jesus, <laughs> That's in in what, <laughs> in what country? South Africa and Mozambique. Okay. Yeah, I was I was in the car the other day and and. Um, I was talking with a couple of friends and, and they had gone on or two of the, two of the people had gone on safaris and uh, one of the other girls was wanting to go on a safari and, and I had misinterpreted that as they were going like, like poaching, like hunting and, and they're like, no, 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 no. Like just safaris. Like it's, it's just, we're just going to look at animals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Uh, it's, you know, I, I have a bit of a, uh, I have a I work there also the contractor. Um, the atrocities I witnessed there far surpassed anything I witnessed in two that years cumulatively in, in Iraq or Afghanistan. And, um, and so, um, you know, uh, poaching is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's fun to terrorist cells as well. And so, uh, you know, to, to be able to get my, sink my teeth into, you know, into this, this project is, is going to be an awesome opportunity for me. That falls fully part of the other airplane, helicopters, drones. Everybody's ready to run a fully weaponized dude, man. All, all professional, uh, former special operators, and and um, and uh, you know, so it's 
it's an awesome uh, and I, I love animals I'm like a big animal guy so I just hate um, I always had a problem with people preying on innocent and that's why I look at terrorists dude they're just the most predacious dregs on this planet who are the biggest cowards on this planet because they prey on innocence you want to you, you terrorist you big and bad why don't you go pick a fight with somebody that's going to take that fight to you and it's not going to happen and, um, and so uh, this is an opportunity for for me to, to be part of something I'm passionate about and, and mitigate a lot of the atrocities that happened in, uh, for the animals and other people in those in own countries so I'm gonna, it's going to be an awesome adventure for sure Fuck, dude, you're you're such a fucking badass, and but I can't help but I can't help but laugh when you're telling some of these stories because it's like you're you're talking to all these this you know fighting terrorists and 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 whatnot, and then you're like, and I love animals. <laughs> <laughs> man, if you want, I turned into a five year old little girl and I'm puppy. It's pathetic, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Hey, Seth, where where can people find find out more about Seven Aside and and more about you, I guess, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Great question, man. Um, the uh, the U.S. Soccer does a great job of promoting um, promoting our sport. So, if you follow U.S. Soccer, I'm sure you've had some visibility on, on the U.S. National Paralympic Team. Um, the U.S. National Paralympic Team uh, they have their own uh, all, all social media platforms: Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, Instagram and, and the same as me. I'm on I'm on all of those uh, platforms as well. And um, and I'm also starting a foundation and this uh, Soul Champ Foundation just to to raise money for uh, charitable you know different organizations that are their sole purpose is to um, help other people that are hurting that are struggling in, in every you know whether it's from the, the 22 veterans you know, suicides. Or, or human trafficking, or you know, whatever the the, the organization is. There's so there's so many. I'm I'm, I'm going to be so stoked to be able to come up, and I'm 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 joining some uh, uh, task force, essentially, if you will, with Harley Davidson. So we're gonna we're gonna start building bikes and then raffling them off and, and donating the proceeds of that money to these different organizations. So it's gonna be, that one's in its infancy, um, but it will be coming shortly. So. And every single thing that you do is badass, man. I, 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 I <laughs> it's like even even your charity is gonna give away Harley's. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, dude, it's gonna be so sick, man. I'm gonna raise thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for people, so it's gonna be great. That's awesome, man. Hey, um, I'm gonna, uh, uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to keep in contact with you and 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 hopefully come down to StubHub and shake your hand when you guys are down there next. Heck yeah, man. Um, feel free to hit me up anytime. And, and I'm just a phone call, uh, phone call away. You have all my contact information. And, and um, you know, drop me a follow, too, on, on all those uh, social media stuff so I can, I can track you as well, man. Absolutely. Yeah, and no, I'll make sure that anytime I go down um, or when I go down to StubHub to to watch any of the stuff, I'll, I'll put it out there on my social media so that way if anybody else wants to come in and check it out, they can uh, they can come as well.
institutional and players coach, uh, a wonderful combination of, of both of those very tremendous assets to have as, as a senior coach. And, um, and he's absolutely transformed this program into a very quality, quality soccer man. You know, so we're right now we're ranked fifth in the world. We just finished at World Championships at fifth and uh, number one in the Americas. Um, it was a tremendous uh, tournament for us. That's amazing, man. It, it, I, I'm just, I'm blown away. I'm blown away. I, when, when Ryan and I first initially talked about this, I knew it'd be a different type of interview because I'm, I'm obviously not well versed in, in, in anything military. Um, but when I started hearing more about your story and reading more about your story, now listening to this, it's, I'm, I'm just absolutely blown away, man. And I, I couldn't be more appreciative of, of you giving me an hour of your time. Oh, dude, it means a lot to me. Thank you so much, man. And like I said, I got stories for days. So you boys just holler at me and we'll chit chat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'll uh, I'll let you get going. And and once again, just thank you from the bottom of my heart, and thank you for your service, and and thank you for thank you for your time. Thank you, brother. It really means a lot to me, man. Keep in touch, bro. All right. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. All right, dude. All right. Bye, Seth. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And a big thank you to Seth Yon for giving me uh, 60 minutes, or giving you, giving us uh, 60 minutes out of his day. And a big thank you to his buddy Ryan for introducing us, because without that introduction, this episode wouldn't have been possible. Um, I've, I've already put it out there in social media. This is one of my favorite episodes or favorite interviews that I've, I've done, uh, to date. And, uh, Seth was an amazing guest, uh, the, uh, exchanges that we've had on, on, on email and in texts. He, he's just a, a, a funny guy. He's a character and you heard it in the stories that he was telling and, and his energy and his, uh, the, just, he's just inspiring, man. I, I don't know how to describe this guy. There's still so much more that I left out. Um, you can find out more about him uh, on some of the links that are provided in the write-up, the summary that is, uh, you can get that on 343coaching.com. Um, you can find him on Instagram, find him on Twitter, follow the uh, Seven Aside team on, on their accounts as well, um, and you can get all of those links. Everything's going to be provided in the write-up on 343coaching.com. And while you're there, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by signing up for one of our programs. And if you don't want to fork over any money, that that's 1000% okay because we have a free program. Um, so you can sign up for the free program. It's a seven week course. Um, you can do that or you can sign up for the, the premium program or just subscribe to our podcast or something like that. Anything, anything helps. Um, with that, I'm going to sign off. I think that is a great place to end it. And again, I want to say thank you to Seth, to Ryan, and to you for listening and supporting and following and sharing and subscribing to this podcast. Okay, goodbye.